you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Good morning. I ran up here. Did you see that? I'm Pastor Greg Rubel, and so glad to see all of you here in the, in the church, and glad you're joining us online as well. I'm very thankful for that. Um, had a couple of uh, people uh, ask for prayer today, so I wanted to remind you that in our in our uh, chairs we have communication cards in the pockets. So on the back of that, you can write out a prayer request and put it in the offering box, and that gets funneled into our prayer ministry. And an email will go out today, and, and a bunch of people will start praying for what you need prayer for. So keep that in mind, because God is answering, answering prayers. Um, if you're online, you can find a button on our homepage, I think it says Connect Here, and you can fill that out and let us know what you'd like us to pray for that way. Uh, we have a prayer meeting tonight at 6 o'clock in the upper room, so you're welcome to, to come to that, and it, it is exciting what God is doing, I'm telling you. Uh, we have good, good things ahead of us at Living Streams. Uh, so, to take your Bibles and we'll look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 13 to 18 today, continuing this series called Next Level Living. And uh, today are some of the most wonderful words of life we could ever read. Love to share this with you. That's why I ran up here. I was so excited about this. Uh, So this is a message called Next Level Words. Let's read those. Verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what good words we have for our hearts today. We thank you for them. Thank you for telling Paul what to write down. So that we could read it today and know how to live in the days that we're living. Thank you for the time we've got. We pray that uh, you would clear our minds and hearts of distractions and worries and fears. We lay those at your feet today and pray that this place would be a place of peace and rest and light and life. Thank you for being with us today. I pray, Lord, like when this is over today, that when people go home, they would be saying in their hearts, surely the presence of the Lord is in that place. Pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Oh, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Did you know the longest word in the English dictionary is numino ultramicroscopic silico volcanoconiosis, consisting of 45 letters? It's a lung disease, in case you were wondering. The average person speaks 16,000 words per day. The longest printed sentence in an English language novel is 13,955 words, written by Jonathan Coe. The shortest story ever written is six words long, authored by Ernest Hemingway, with a total of 25 letters, which happens to be 11 letters less than it takes to write out 13,000. 955. During the Civil War, Edward Everett delivered a speech at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania that consisted of over 13,500 words and lasted for two hours. Abraham Lincoln followed it up with 268 words in two minutes that gave newfound hope to a bloodied nation and is considered one of the greatest speeches in American history. On August 28, 1963, a Baptist minister from Atlanta, Georgia, spoke 1,578 words that changed the course of the nation. 28 years before that, an idealistic European prime minister's words were instrumental in changing the course of the world. Words can define a vision. sinister the vision might be. Some words are by mothers. Others by monsters. But do our words matter? Words that build up or words that demoralize? Words that challenge words that excuse, words that unite, or words that tear apart. Do they matter? Is anyone listening? Or are they just words? I've got 5,363 words to share with you today, (laughs) give or take a few hundred. Words are pretty amazing, aren't they? Pretty amazing things. And today I've got some next level words. They have a lot of power in them to do good in the hearts of the grieving and those that are weary and those that are discouraged. I don't know if you are in any of those groups today, but even if you're not, these will be good for your soul. So in verses 13 and 14, there are words there that bring comfort. And I want you to hear them again. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
So before we get to the, you know, like really exciting event in this, in this passage, we don't want to miss the incredible comfort that can be found in these first two verses. So from the way that, that Paul starts that sentence, we can understand some of the things that he taught those new believers when he was with them the first time. Okay, he, he taught them about the resurrection of the dead. He taught them about Christ's resurrection, and he taught them about Christ's return. And apparently there were some that were confused about, about that. And when Timothy went to visit that church, um, he brought back a report to Paul that some of them were grieving about some people that had died and they thought that they were going to miss this incredible event, event of Christ's return. So Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed or confused about that because there is comfort to receive from a right understanding about this truth that our faith is based on. Now that truth is found in verse 14. Since we believe Jesus died and then rose again. Since we believe that Jesus died and then rose again. So the death of Jesus, it made it possible for us to receive forgiveness of our sins. And it opened the way for us to have a relationship or to know the living God. Yeah. And the resurrection of Jesus makes it possible for anyone who believes in him to have victory over the grave too. John 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus is at the graveyard, a grave of his friend Lazarus, and he's talking to the family, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's what he says. Do you believe this? Jesus made that promise. And then he went to the cross. And he died there. And then they took him to the cemetery. But he didn't stay there. Nobody in the history of the world that was carried into a cemetery and buried there walked away from it except Jesus. Nobody. There is nowhere you can go. No doctor. No scientist, no politician, no personal trainer, no life coach, no Hindu, no Buddhist, no Muslim, no humanist, no pantheist, no socialist, no Marxist, no agnostic, no atheist who can give you any kind of assurances of what happens when you close your eyes on this world. Nobody can do that except Jesus. Nobody can tell you that you're going to beat death the death that's coming to your body right now, this very second. Nobody can tell you anything positive about that except Jesus. Because He is the only one who defeated death. The only place you can go. And there is much comfort in those words. Now Paul calls those who have died, those who have fallen asleep. Now, he is just using a common phrase to refer to people who have died, like we use the phrase, people who have passed away. Okay, so that's what he's saying. He's saying something like that. He's not creating this doctrine of soul sleep, all right, for people who have died. 
So the New Testament, when you read through that, it has many places where it describes a conscious existence of people after they have have died. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 16 of a rich man and a beggar who die, and they, after death, are anything but asleep. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he would rather leave his body and be with Christ, for that would be far better but it was more necessary that he remained with the, with them, the Philippians. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul confidently states, I would rather be away from the body because that would mean I was at home with the Lord. So there is no soul sleep after we close our eyes on this world. We will either be with Jesus at peace or away from Jesus in pain. Only two options. When someone dies as a believer in Christ... They are not gone forever. In fact, to them, it's only a few seconds before the reunion. To us, when they they go, it brings on this extreme, the most extreme form of grief that we experience in this life. You know, when God created the world, it was perfect and death did not exist. Death came through sin. And so when, when death comes to us, and it's inevitable for all of us, listen, death is not a natural part of life. It is an unnatural part of life. And when someone dies, our hearts tell us that. That's what grief is. When we have to say goodbye to somebody because they died, grief is telling us this is not how it should be. It's not how it should should be. And when death is unexpected, it's even harder. You know, a miscarriage, a child, a murder... An accident, you know, these kinds of things. All of this produces grief, and grief can be this overwhelming emotion that keeps you in bed, keeps you away from people, and keeps you living in the past, missing someone. Paul does not say that we shouldn't grieve. Okay, he doesn't say that we shouldn't grieve because we believe this. He's just saying that our grieving should be different than those who don't believe this those who have no hope. When there is no resurrection, there is no future reunion to look forward to. So we aren't saying uh, until we meet again at the funeral, we're saying a final farewell. And when the farewell is final, grief will have a strong grip on your heart. And you know, some people never get out of that in their life. Every step is difficult. It's like they're slogging through mud every day because this cloud of grief is on them because they have no hope. But there is an alternative way to grieve. Over time, our heart stops looking back and, and missing that person. And it starts to look forward and longing for that person. And it changes It changes the way we do life. The farewell wasn't final. It really is a see you later. And then verse 14 goes on from what happened to Jesus to what will happen through Jesus for those who died in his hands, in his grip, trusting him. God will bring them back when Jesus comes back. Now we're going to talk about that here in a second. But before we do, there's comfort right here from these words. The people who were believers in Jesus when they died, we are going to see them again. We're going to have a reunion. They are not lost. They're very good right now. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22, But in fact, 
Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So the resurrection, it is not a legend. It's not fiction. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a story made up to start a movement. It is a fact. You know what a fact is, right? And let me demonstrate. I'm going to go off camera. Don't try to follow me. All right, all right, just I'm going to teach you what a fact is. There is a maroon van driving into Meyer right now. That is a fact. You did not see it. I saw it. I'm an eyewitness, and I'm telling you. And if you go over to Meyer, you can tell people that a maroon van drove into Meyer at 10:38 in the morning. That's a fact. That's what Jesus' resurrection is. It is a fact. People showed up. They saw him die on the cross. They showed up at his tomb. His tomb was empty. The stone was rolled away. And then he showed up in a room with them, showing him his hands and his side. And then he showed up to 500 other people. The resurrection is a fact. (laughs) It's a fact. And if we believe it, our farewells to people that we loved is only a see you later. It's only a see you later. And that helps us overcome grief instead of being overcome by it. Now, I tell you, I I am not a real big fan of funerals. Especially when when we go and you don't know anything about the faith of the person uh, that has died. If they were a believer in Jesus or not. And when I officiate a funeral like that, I am listening. I listen to the family. I'm like, I'm listening for any little sign that they had any kind of faith, that they had any kind of knowledge of the gospel. I I recently did a funeral for a man who grew up in church and he knew the gospel. Uh, Except as when he grew up, he as an adult, he never talked about his spiritual life with, with anybody. It just it's just something he did not do. But when he died, they found a Bible app on his phone. And I said, hey, there's hope in that. There's hope in that. He knew the gospel. And there's a Bible on his phone that he was reading. So there's hope that even in the last moments, even if it was just for the last few minutes of his life, the last few seconds of his life, that he died in Christ. There's hope in that. It only takes faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. And you never know what God will do in the final moments of somebody's life. So one thing we can take away uh, from this, besides comfort, is not waiting till death comes to someone's life to talk to them about Jesus. You know? We need to talk to them. We need to plant seeds of the gospel. You, you know, just plant. Here's what Jesus did in my life. Let me tell you about what Jesus, how much he loves you, what he's done for you. Put those seeds in their hearts because it changes funerals. It changes them from goodbyes to see you later. So get get the comfort from these words. Now let's move on. More next level words. Verses 15 to 17. Words that bring strength. And I want you to hear them again. 15 to 17. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, 
and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So, the personal return, the bodily personal return of Jesus Christ is a core doctrine of our faith. Okay, and if you spend any time in church, you know that that Jesus is coming back. Um, But you know what? The longer that he takes, the harder it is for us to believe. You know? So in church, we can get all caught up in, in the when. You know, when he's coming back, and we can miss the power of this promise for our lives in this day-to-day that we're living. Paul begins with a very powerful statement. He says, what I'm about to tell you comes from the very lips of Jesus. According to the Lord's own word, I'm telling you this. There is strength right there. I mean, when you start talking about someone coming back from heaven, you know, bodily form with an army... I mean, that's like next level stuff. Jesus said this. There's strength right there. It's not something man dreamed up when he's thinking about the end of the world. This is what Jesus said. Now, it's not a word-for-word quote of Jesus. It's a summary of what he said. If you go back and read Matthew 24 and Jesus' description of end times, you can get where Paul is right here. Okay? So verse 16, um, Paul begins to describe Jesus' parousia. And he's focusing on how it begins. Now, parousia is a Greek word that means arrival or official visit. And so the people that would hear that word parousia, they would be thinking about great arrivals in their lives that they'd known about in in their world. Like when an official, uh, uh, important official would come to their city or a sovereign or uh, someone of royalty. These were huge events. Okay, speeches were made. Feasts were held. Gifts were given. Crowns were given. Coins were minted. You know, this is something to commemorate a VIP coming to a city, a parousia. And so verse 16 is describing the pomp of Jesus' parousia, his arrival to our world. First of all, he says that the Lord himself is coming. This isn't one of his officials. You know, this isn't the, the, uh, the angel in charge of the armies coming. No, this is Jesus himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is going to be a huge event. It is going to be announced all over the world with a command that is shouted with the voice of an archangel. And the trumpet call of God that blasts out all over the world that, they, that you can hear, that calls the, the dead in Christ to rise from the grave. I mean, I want to be in the cemetery when that happens. And so the dead in Christ, they're going to take this prominent place, all right, in, in Jesus' grand procession, commemorating his arrival back on this scene. Verse 17 then tells us about believers who are alive when this happens. And Paul, the way Paul writes, it sounds like he's expecting to be part of that group. You know, we who are alive, we who are left, are going to be caught up together with these resurrected brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to go up to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. Oh, man. Now, listen, what would normally happen in a city when a VIP was coming, when there was a parousia, all right, They would send out a delegation of people to meet them and escort them back to the city gates. That's what happened. That was a parousia. 
And so the VIP, when he came into the town, he would be surrounded by all his people and by the people selected uh, by the city to be in that company to escort him back. That was the eastern way of celebrating a VIP coming to their town, a Perusia. Have you ever seen the movie Lawrence of Arabia? It was made in 1962. It is in color. It is 15 minutes shy of four long hours. Very, a few years ago, I saw this list of the top ten movies ever made. And Sir Lawrence of Arabia was on there. And I'm like, ah, I've never seen that movie. I'll, I'll watch it, you know. It can't be bad, right? So I would, you know, personally speaking, I would not put it on my top ten list of movies. Um, except for this, this one part. What I remember most about this is a scene when a VIP is arriving to his camp in the middle of the desert. And he is out, he's, he's out with his people, and he's, he's been traveling, and he's out there, and they fire off two gunshots. And that signals the people in the camp, and they get all excited that this guy's coming back. And they get on their horses, and they ride out to meet him. They surround him and escort him back into the city in this great parade. It's just a huge celebration, flags waving, you know, they're hooping and hollering. And I, got, I watched that and I'm like, that's a picture of Jesus coming back. A parousia. You know, we have been taught almost no other way to think about these verses in 1 Thessalonians other than the rapture. You know, where Jesus calls his church up, out of this world before the tribulation revelation. But I'll tell you, I'm not there anymore. I haven't been there for years. I believe these verses are not describing the rapture of the church, but they are describing the return of Christ to our world to set up his kingdom. And all believers, resurrected and living, will go up to meet him in the air, in the clouds, and escort him back here to set up his kingdom. And then Paul concludes with these comforting words, and so we will always be with the Lord. And so we will always be with the Lord. All believers for all time in his kingdom forever to worship him forever. That is good stuff. Now if we can, if we can forget about the when, you know, when this is going to happen, and focus on the certainty that, that, that is going to happen, there is strength. There is strength to be found. And boy, do we need strength. We need strength. This life is anything but easy. And you know something? We live in the easiest nation on the planet to live. And think about our lives. You know, our prayer lists are never empty. They've always got something on there. You know, our bodies make it painful. Our relationships sometimes make it hard. Our mistakes, our messes, our propensity to walk away, to wander away. Romans 8, 22 to 24 says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Don't we long for that? We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Oh man, I'm looking forward to that day. This marathon we're running, this marathon of life, it is a long race for most of us. You know, for most of us. And it's going to have some ups and downs that we have to run through. It's going to have some storms and dangers. It's going to have sunshine and tailwind sometimes. It's going to have all of that. It'll test our endurance. It'll cause us to ask 
questions, important questions. Our bodies will get weary, but if we know why we're running, our souls will be renewed day by day. Long after the sun had set on the Boston Marathon and the official clock had turned off and all the crowds had gone home, 39-year-old Venezuela Mikhail Melame crossed the finish line about 4 a.m. with no fanfare, about 20 hours after the race had begun. What made Michael's race significant is that he suffers from a form of muscular dystrophy which meant that he didn't so much as run this 26.2-mile race, but he walked it. And as he reflected on his accomplishment, Michael stated, in any marathon, you have to know why you're doing it, because in the last mile, the marathon will ask you. And that year, Michael was running to honor the Boston Children's Hospital workers who had taken care of him as a child. Has the marathon asked you, why are you running? Has it it asked you that, you know, because it happens. It happens when you're ready to stop. It, It happens when the pain in your body is more than the strength in your heart to take another step. It happens when the doubt feels heavy and the faith feels weak and small. When the wounds of a friend, you know, still hurt months and months later. When there is no cure, when there is no relief, when there is no light, why are you running? If you don't have an answer to the why, you're missing out on strength for the next mile. Any day, a loud command is going to be shouted that the whole world will hear a trumpet blast of God. And the dead in Christ are going to rise, bringing believers' bodies together back with their soul, and they're going to start the flight up to meet Jesus. We're going to join them in the air. I mean, think about that reunion, the whole church meeting Jesus in the air to join in this Perusia parade for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then we get to see his face. And then we get to hear his voice and we get to feel his embrace. This I declare to you according to the words of Jesus. This day is coming. It is coming. It could be today. I am running for that day. I'm running for that day and I'm not going to stop. You know why I'm not going to stop? Because Jesus didn't stop. Jesus didn't stop. Jesus, who had all the power to keep from being arrested. He had all the wisdom, you know, to uh, answer the false accusations of his trial. But he didn't stop. He didn't stop it. He had all the justification he needed to keep the whip from striking one more time on his back. But he took all 39. He did not stop. He had all the authority to cause the crowd to shout for him. But he let him shout for Barabbas. He, he did not stop. Jesus had the head, he, was the, he is the head of angel armies. And he did not summon them to rescue him from that long walk up the hill called Golgotha, carrying that cross on his back. He, he did not stop. 
He who deserves every knee bowing and every tongue confessing him as King of kings and Lord of lords hung on that cross, naked, bleeding, battered, while his people shouted and mocked and said, come on down if you're the King of the Jews, if you're the Son of God, and then we'll believe in you. But he stayed up there. The Son of God, who never knew a moment of separation from his Father, suffered him turning his head away while his while my sin was laid on his body he did not stop he didn't stop he kept going why for me for you and that's why i'm running and when the miles at my strength and i find myself on the ground because I've fallen or I've sinned again. He comes to me and he picks me up with his mercy and his strength and he says, come on, just keep going. But I want you to know I'm coming soon. And the finish line to your race is just around the corner. It's just around the corner. And so we keep going. By His Spirit, we keep going. So we do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For we fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. There's strength right here in these words. And then last, in the last verse for this day, Paul tells us what to do with these words. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So there, there's encouragement to get from these words. And we're supposed to remind each other of these promises, which means that we need to run together. We're in this together. We're not supposed to run alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. 9 and 10 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. And so often, that help is a voice of encouragement. It's a voice of encouragement. Paul's saying to believers who are grieving, these words right here, they can lighten your loads. They can remind you of what is true, what you are believing. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we are not going to die. Do you need that encouragement today? Do you need it? Don't you realize that takes all the sting out of a pandemic? All of it. No reason to fear COVID-19 or any other diagnosis that you may get that has an end to your life in it. Jesus said it, not me. Jesus said it. If you believe he is the resurrection and the life, even though you die, yet yet shall you live. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Then get busy living. Get busy living. Do you know what else this means? Jesus solved our greatest problem. He solved our greatest problem. All the other problems we face when compared to death pale in comparison. Right? So that puzzle that's got you down... You know, that, that, that question that you can't seem to find the answer to? 
You know, that darkness that needs light, the, the direction you need because you don't know which way to turn. Jesus says, hey, he's shouting to you from the empty grave. I got this. I got this. Trust me one more day. You can trust me with your life. You can trust me with your money. You can trust me with your protection. You can trust me with all your stuff. You can trust me with your time. I will not waste it. Jesus says that from the empty grave. Look at that empty grave. It's empty. Huh. Problem solved, peeps. And did you hear what Paul said, Jesus said? I'm coming back. You're going to hear that trumpet blast. And you're going to join the newly resurrected church family in the clouds to meet him. It's going to be an amazing reunion. It's going to be an incredible procession. And it's going to happen soon. So keep your head up. Keep going. Jesus is coming.